Hi, I'm Paul, and this is Archonnect Sessions, episode 149. On this episode, we're sharing a conversation I had with Alyssa Namias, the director and producer of the documentary film The New Bauhaus. We recorded this conversation last month, poolside, a few hours before the film premiered to a packed house in the Annenberg Theater at the Palm Springs Film Festival. Alyssa, a trained architect-turned-filmmaker, made her directorial debut in 2011 with Unfinished Spaces, a critically acclaimed documentary about the unfinished National Art School in Cuba. While she has a number of producing credits under her belt, the new Bauhaus is the second documentary film project that she's directed. The film focuses on the life and legacy of Laszlo Moholy-Nagy, the Hungarian artist and teacher most famously known through his work at the Bauhaus. It's a beautifully told story presented in a unique nonlinear fashion, narrated by Hans Ulrich Obrist, who represents Maholi in a surprisingly effective way. The film will be screened again at this year's Modernism Week in Palm Springs tomorrow, February 14th, followed by screenings at Melbourne Design Week in Australia and the Architecture and Design Film Festival in D.C. in March, and also coming up in Los Angeles at SciArc in April. Full details about Upcoming screenings and the movie can be found at thenewbauhaus.com. Our conversation begins with Alyssa explaining what originally drew her to Maholi as a subject for her second full-length documentary film project. So Maholi was somebody who I had heard of in my education as an architect and and in art history, studying art history. I always thought his work was amazing. I thought he his photographs were astonishing. And, you know, but he was sort of enigmatic. He would always be mentioned when you're reading about the Bauhaus, there would be a few lines about Maholi, at least in the textbooks that I was given on the subject. So it wasn't an obsession or anything like that. But when I was presented with the opportunity to direct this film, I think one of the things that I considered was how I hadn't heard about Maholi and how this was a story that if I hadn't heard about it and I had been sort of inside the design world to some extent, that there must be a lot of other people out there who don't know this story. And once I realized how influential he was, not only at the Bauhaus, but also in the U.S. with the new Bauhaus and the School of Design and the Institute of Design. And also once I met his daughter, Hatula, I sort of knew that there would be a film there that we could make that would be very relevant in the present day and that would sort of conjure up this ghost of a figure who, you know, he wrote a lot. He made a lot of work. He left that behind, but there isn't any footage of him, really. There's a there are a few minutes of personal home movies. Um, mm-hmm. They're all silent. So we don't really have him expressing himself in that way. So I had to kind of it was an interesting cinematic challenge. Let's like from a documentary storytelling standpoint to bring this character alive. So that interested me a lot. And I always love stories about art and design and culture in general that are not, let's say, like a conventional biopic that mm-hmm. really can find where where art or design intersects with politics, social history, and deeper human themes. Mm-hmm. So I liked that Maholi was a figure. It would be a surprising story, a relevant story, and one that wasn't going to be, that would have a lot of layers, wasn't going to be simple. I like that about it. 
he's a, a kind of, you know, multi-layered, multi-dimensional figure. So he wasn't somebody that you were particularly like following throughout your design education? and No, not at all. I mean, I was interested in the early days of the Bauhaus, like mm-hmm. when I was studying art history and architecture. I was fascinated actually by Johannes Itten, who was the first teacher of the four course at the Bauhaus and who Maholi replaced. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was, I was fascinated by those early Bauhaus days when it was actually, you know, they had a vegetarian cafe and they were doing calisthenics and it was this sort of out there communal experience. And Maholi, you know, as folks will see in the film, participated in some of that in terms of like, you know, he and Lucia, his partner in, you know, his romantic partner and his partner in creative work at the time, they spent time at these sort of feminist communes in Germany so I was interested in that. This sort of we think of modernism as this sort of sleek, almost sanitized thing. I think a lot of times, and I've always been keen to understand the like bodily aspects of it, the human mm. part of it, the process, the messiness. And Maholi is somebody who embraced that, but also was really interested in technology and in the future, but in a way that was, you know, that was sort of cautious. He understood, I think, the power of technology and what was coming. So I'm going a little bit all over the place, but I guess it's a long way of saying that I was interested in him, but I don't think I had the consciousness to sort of go deeper until mm-hmm. I was presented with the, the you know, the the opportunity to make this film and started to learn more about the, the American years and then kind of that exchange between Bauhaus in the U.S. and and in Europe. So taking on a, a film uh, documentary project like this about somebody who I, I believe is very influential and, and uh, important in the history of design and somebody that has not been documented as much as I believe he should have been. What was your approach as a creative person, as a filmmaker to tell that story? Like, how, how did you make that the decisions that you made when uh, creating this film? Well, it's challenging to make a film about art, to make art about art, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of daunting sometimes when you think about it, but it's also exciting. And so always with this film, the idea was to, you know, to be of a piece with, uh, with, Maholi's work and Bauhaus aesthetically, but not imitative, you know, to develop a kind of contemporary language for presenting the artwork and filming. We shot the film in 4K. My producer, Petter Ringbaum, also was the cinematographer, shot the film and did the graphics and animation in the film. So he and I worked really collaboratively in developing the language for those things. And, you know, there were different moments of, you know, different creative decisions that have to be made along the way uh, with the film. I think I wanted to make it personal. So filming Hatula was a priority, spending time with her and really trying to understand not only her father through her, but also her relationship with him was one of my first choices as a filmmaker and then doing a lot of research. So really connecting with scholars who know Maholi, Oliver Botar, who's a Canadian scholar, Robin Schuldenfrey, Elizabeth Siegel at the Art Institute of Chicago. So many, you know, not, I wouldn't say so many, but all of these major Maholi scholars were really interested in in supporting us and, and sharing information. Also, the, the beginning of the film coincided with a retrospective exhibition of Maholi's work at the Art Institute of Chicago, the Guggenheim Museum in New York, and LACMA in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And so I had the good fortune to be able to go to the show and go to the L.A. show multiple times. So we not only filmed the show, but I was able to just spend time with the work in person, which is 
so valuable for feeling that kind of direct understanding of the work. Mm -hmm. So I spent hours there and lots of hours in books. And I really wanted to ground it in scholarly research, but then transcend that, right? Like Mm -hmm. kind of have that as a deep foundation, like that, that is almost unconscious in the film, where then the film can be all about the human story and the kind of the beauty, the aesthetic beauty of the work and find where we can connect. When I'm working on a film about design or art, like how do how do people care about it who don't already care? You know, I want to speak to the people who obviously who care and who are invested in the subject, but I also want people to understand that this is not inaccessible or opaque or insider, Mm -hmm. but rather like a very human enterprise and something that we can all appreciate if we just kind of have a little bit of access to it. Speaking of creatively telling the story of somebody who's so creative, I, I found it really interesting in the film how one of his students was left a little disappointed in the way that the retrospective was presented because it was too clean. She said that that he was he was messy, you know, in the way that he worked and the way he presented himself and or maybe not the way that he presented himself, but the way he worked and the shows were were so clean. It seemed like like uh, your film may have done a better job of of like kind of expressing the kind of diversity of of his life and his work. Well, yeah. So, you know, she means it as a compliment, right? Like he's messier than that. He's not yeah. sanitized. He's not trying to be something he's not. He's He embraced mistakes and or supposed mistakes, right, as opportunities. He taught students to really think for themselves um, and to be generative in their processes. And I think that's the way he worked, too. He was endlessly curious, I'm told. And that's another approach we took. So in addition to Hatala, was really trying to find as many people as we could who were still alive, who had direct contact with Maholi, who studied with him, who knew him. And so we found some students who had known him however briefly and their stories were really valuable to understanding what this guy was like um, and to bringing him to life on screen yeah he was not a top-down thinker he was from the materiality from nothing make something in a way when i think about some of the works by maholi that are quote-unquote messy i think of his improvisational work his his tactile work with materials not only like his late period plexiglass sculptures but also his early photograms that he made where it was about finding natural forms like flowers or leaves or or you know household items and making photograms in the dark room with lucia or working with the body in this kind of improvisational way with light they don't necessarily look messy but there's a way in which the un- he embraced the unexpected mm-hmm. and chance which is a kind of you know 1920s dada surrealism fascination but he also had this line of of constructivism in him right where he was interested in form and composition and color so i think he really was you know somebody who was endlessly fascinated with all of these different experiments of modernism and found ways to integrate them in his own work. Yeah, I was really impressed from what I learned about him in this film about how much he embraced experimentation and new technology. And at the time, you know, technology was kind of just, it was nothing like it is today. And, you know, it made me wonder, like, how do you think, you know, his approach to creation can be uh, inspiring to uh, designers and artists today? Well, you know, it was inspiring to me. I can say that thinking about, for example, when filming in Chicago, 
how do we represent the city in a way that we experimented with, you know, time of day, shadows, exposure, angles, surprising angles, reflections. So we, you know, there were ways in which in which that was interesting. And how do we use the kind of digital camera technologies? And then also with the animation, I made the choice to allow some of the animations to be in motion mm-hmm. um, and to play with like, you know, with uh, and usually coming from a background as an artist, you know, stu- having studied art history, like you don't mess with the work of art. You know, you just show the work of art. You show you show it for what it is. You might show a detail, but you don't sort of animate it. But mm-hmm. actually, that became a really kind of interesting way to think about how today's technologies could engage with you know, with these images that were made in mostly this was the photo collages. So in the 1920s, like Maholi's telephone paintings and his photo montages, I think he has been really inspirational to a lot of artists, like some of whom are in the film. So for example, Olafur Eliasson, the great uh, Danish artist, is in the film and he talks about how Maholi's interest in light and sort of performativity of the object, such as with Maholi's uh, light space modulator, this sculpture that he made out of metal and light that rotates. And it was intended as a sculpture, but also as a light prop for an electric stage. So it was actually, he was making something that would make something else. He was making a machine to make light projections. And then he made a film of the light space modulator or the light prop. And the film is called Black, White, Gray. And so you have this multimedia aspect in Maholi that is something that's very much ubiquitous today in contemporary art. And I think a lot of artists were looking at him as somebody who worked across media and tried to express something with the best materiality in which to make that statement. So he was ahead of his time in that way. You know, there really weren't that many people working in that way. Photography wasn't even considered like a fine art medium at the time when he really was one of the first people to say this is art. This photograph yeah. is a work of art and an abstract composition. Yeah, his work seemed to be far beyond his time. I had to remind myself while watching the film that, you know, that this work was being done almost 100 years ago. It's crazy. Did you notice the uh, Sound ABC, the experimental film with the the audio film he made that's mm-hmm. uh, he scratched, he actually etched on the uh, on the optical sound film. So he made drawings. And what you're hearing is this really abstract sound that is the drawing. It's the sound of the drawings. Mm. Um, and that was a 1920s project that yeah. he did that was lost and actually just the, the British Film Institute just found it. It was attached to some other film reel. And so our film is the first film in which it appears. Wow. The uh, I thought it was really interesting, your decision to use uh, Hans uh, Ulrich Obrist as as the, the voice of Maholi. Can you talk a little bit about that that decision? Definitely. So, you know, I the way I see Hans Ulrich is, you know, he's not playing Maholi like an actor. Um, yeah, it was a but- really interesting role that he that he took on for this. It was it was it's hard to it's hard to nail down exactly what what he was doing. Right. He well, he was I you know, I think of it as he was reading the words of Maholi, mm-hmm. uh, performing the words of Maholi, maybe, but not pretending to be Maholi. Mm-hmm. He, you know, so I knew I wanted Maholi's words in the film and and experimented with a few different ways of doing that. Was it going to be graphic text on screen? Was it going to be, you know, an actor doing voiceover? If so, was that actor Hungarian? Were they not Hungarian? Mm-hmm. Were they speaking in English or not in English? Because much of what he wrote was, you know, some in English, some in German, some in Hungarian. And then actually this came as a result of, you know, many, we, we actually did look into casting, you know, an A-list actor and we're in kind of pretty deep conversations with some 
some folks. But in the end, actually, the idea of having Hans Ulrich came up and my producers and I were all really excited about that because not only does Hans Ulrich sort of seem to embody some of the energy that Maholi had, but he also is someone who could really understand the words, right? That he was not that anyone couldn't, but he could sort of, I think, really understand the significance of those words at that time, given his background as, you know, an art curator and and how steeped he is. And then he also has his own projects around interviewing artists and the words of artists. You know, if you've seen his Instagram or the books he's published, he really is someone who's done incredible documentary work, you know, oral history work and interviewing artists and sort of asking them questions, having them ask questions. And one of the pieces that we had him read that Maholi wrote was an interview for the Little Review magazine, a little magazine um, in the 1930s. And it was a Q&A. So it felt sort of right that Hans Ulrich Oberst would be reading this Q&A with an artist mm-hmm. and saying those words. So there was a kind of, you know, that maybe that's a bit insider, but it also was really in his wheelhouse. And he we were, you know, very grateful that he jumped at the opportunity to be part of the film. And, and then the idea was, OK, so is he just going to be in the background? Will it only be voice? Will it only be audio or will it also be will there be some way to visualize this? And, and I decided to expose the VO apparatus. And that was sort of a nod to, I mean, it was a few things, but one of which is a nod to Maholi and his understanding of technology, right? So to sort of to show the soundstage and show Hans Ulrich reading the words and have the narrator, so to speak, or the voice of Maholi not pretend to be him, but we mm-hmm. really see who this is and the context of it and sort of break the fourth wall in the film. I thought that was a, an opportunity to do that. So sometimes you just hear the audio and other times you see him on screen and then that becomes a device because the film has a, a bit of an unconventional structure narratively. It's not cradle to grave storytelling. Yeah. So, yeah, so that allows us the sort of quotes and Hans Ulrich is one way of separating, let's say, chapters um, and sections of the film. Yeah, I thought I thought that technique worked very nicely. I mean, it was just it was very complementary to how the film was structured in general. So we're in Palm Springs right now. You're about to the, this film's going to be screened three times, I believe. Yes, three yeah. times this week at the Palm Springs International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It'll also be screened again on February 14th at Modernism Week mm-hmm. in Palm Springs. Um, and we're working on, you know, there there are some other screenings happening around the world um, in the next few months and this whole year. And do you know how people will be able to watch it if they can't make it to one of these screenings? So we are in conversations right now about distribution. I can't uh-huh. say anything yet yeah, on sure. the on the podcast, but uh-huh. depending on, or on the, for the interview, but what, depending on when you're going to release this, we might be able to have you say more or print more. Cool. Um, but we yeah. hope for a really wide release um, around the world. And and definitely there will be a digital release at some point. But I would say for now, we have a newsletter at thenewbauhaus.com. Mm-hmm. And people can sign up there and be kind of the first to hear about screenings in their area. And when there's a Facebook page as well. Great. Well, I I really enjoyed watching the uh, the screener. I can't wait to watch it in the on the big screen tomorrow. Right in the with my theater. mom, with my Hungarian mother. It's uh, especially exciting. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think the there have been there's been a good response, a warm response from Hungarians so far, and also from the art world and design world, and then people who just hadn't don't know anything about it. You know, like oh wow, I, now I've I've heard that word Bauhaus. Is that a furniture company? Um, and then they sort of get this bigger, bigger story and context and and a lot of the issues of around immigration that are happening today are part of the film. So there's a real contemporary, you know, it, it, it's I think it's 
touching people today in ways that feel relevant. Can I say one more thing that you could put back with the creative process? Of course, yes. So another choice I made in the creative process, because this is a largely archival film, like past tense film, was how to represent the periods of history in which our story took place. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, 1920s Germany, uh, Hungary in the in at the turn of the century, um, turn of the 20th century and Chicago in the 1930s. And I decided to uh, rather than source archival from just from stock footage houses, you know, from Mm -hmm. or from Getty Images or the archival footage houses um, to really try to find material that was made by artists. So whether it was Maholi himself, so for example, when we land in Berlin, um, there's footage of a, a trolley driver and you see some air, sort of semi-aerial shots. And that's actually footage that Maholi made in Berlin at the time. Oh, wow. So um, and, and in Chicago, there's footage that the students made of their own workshops and of the school and of the city that that's worked into the Chicago scene. And then we also work in other, you know, other artistic representations of, for example, in World War II, rather than rely on just like newsreel footage, there's actually footage and photographs that were made by artists in the WPA or other things that were going on at the time. So you get a kind of always a kind of view of the world through the eyes of artists and rather than sort of what you would normally see in a typical documentary about, with which is more like newsreel footage. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it seems like this this film required a lot of research. Did you undertake that all yourself or? It was primarily a, me, but yeah. my producing team was great too. Um, Aaron Wright and Petter Ringbaum, mm-hmm. um, Ashley Lukasik. And my editor, Miranda Youssef, is extraordinary. She is, you know, and my co-writer too. Mm-hmm. She and I wrote the thing together. So it was a lot of research and I had a really good team. We had great associate producers and a couple of interns. We actually created a log of like every quote that Maholi, you know, these significant quotes that Maholi made in all of his writings to try to figure out which ones Hans Ulrich Obrist would read. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of a lot of research. Yeah. Hatula Maholi Naji was so generous with us. We spent several days in her archive that when she's kept a, a great archive of Maholi's papers and we scanned things and we filmed her, as you can see in the film, mm-hmm. we filmed her in her archive. Um, and also the Institute of Design at IIT in mm-hmm. Illinois was tremendously you know, generous. We were in their library. The mm-hmm. scrapbook that you see that Maholi kept um, mm-hmm. with the B on the cover for the new Bauhaus, he kept this wonderful scrapbook for the first year of the school with newspaper clippings and such. And so we filmed that at the at the IIT library. I'm probably forgetting someone, but, you know, LACMA was generous in letting us film the Art Institute. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's some outtakes of scenes at the Art Institute that were really, you know, we had the privilege to film there. So it was, you know, yeah, it was, but, but really it was always, I, you know, me and Miranda and my producers try, having to really know as much as we could about him. And I love that about documentary because you kind of do this deep dive into a world that becomes part of your life for the rest of your life, but you can also move on and go into another world, you know? Um, And so I hope I'll keep coming back to stories about you know, design, architecture, and art. I love culture in general, music, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But I also, you know, the story is the most important thing, the human story, the deeper themes. And for me, the new Bauhaus is, um, yes, it's a film about Maholi and the new Bauhaus, but it's a film about humans and technology. It's a film about, you know, the creative process and what it means and how, as Maholi said, uh, not the product, but the person is the end in view. Mm -hmm. Um, And by making, we make ourselves. 
we make an object, we make a thing, we make a podcast or a website or a, a hat or whatever we make mm-hmm. or a painting, but we're really in that process if we're doing it, I think with the spirit that Maholi had, we are making ourselves. We're doing it, uh, we're doing something that's cre- that's changing the world around us and changing the way we see the world. And I think that that is at the heart of the film for me. That was the real theme that I was interested in exploring with with his life story and his work. That's great. Well, I think you definitely succeeded in that. Thank you so much. No, I was honored to be on. Something that I was especially impressed with in, in the movie was just exposing him as a person. You know, I, I, I feel like that always makes a person's work so much more rich when you learn, you know, where this work is coming from, you know, yeah. from the the human side of things have stories and people there yeah. people are part of the stories. And I think that's one of the things for me with architecture that even as an architect, I was so fascinated by and with my first film was like, what is the story of this place? You know, mm-hmm. not how it was made and how it came to be and who's been through it and what's happened in it. And I think that um architects, you know, we know these things, but sometimes it's not really a part of the discourse yeah. and things get focused so much on form. And I love form, you uh-huh. know, I think it's beautiful, but it's also, you know, things can be, they can take on more meaning. The form can take on all kinds of different meanings. Yeah. Um, and knowing the human stories that happen that originate, you know, buildings or graphic design or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the work is, um, I think enriches the stuff and helps us understand ourselves a little more. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. And that concludes our show for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, Arc Sessions, or with hashtag Arconnect Sessions. You can also send us an email to connect at Arconnect.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a comment and rating us on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next time.